previously on Battlestar Galactica. In the lap, in the lap, in the shoulder, me, me, choking the eyes and the soul of me, you will fire. It's a simple green greenie. Love it. Like you, Mr. Angle. You turd. I think you talk funny. Oh, streamers rule. I'm a bad man, give me bad man, bad books, person won't feed them crooks, I won't bad women, who cause bad hoods, bad dudes, I'm making my own rules. Money back guarantee, one big bucket, a Canadian moose p Everyone, welcome to then now together whatever the wrestling Rick Roll podcast. I'm your host. I'm no stranger to brother love, Duncan Joyce, and I'm joined by a man who just wants to tell you his feelings about Triple H. It's Mr. Kyle Cambry. <laughs> Hello, so good to be back. Yeah, it's been a long while, so long that WWE have changed their signature at the opening. Yeah, that's really ruined our. Uh... Our podcast name, wasn't it? <laughs> I know, killed our gimmick there. How have you been doing, Kyle? I've been doing good, actually. Since we last recorded, there's there's a lot of things that, that's been happening, so I kind of just bullet point it and just run through. I've had the opportunity to work on a BBC project at the beginning of this year, which was, was really good. Very different with all the COVID restrictions and, and stuff like that. So that hopefully should be out around August time. Back at college face-to-face teaching, bit of normality back, so that's great. And I've added to my leg tattoo sleeve. Yeah, all positive. How about yourself? Really good, yeah. I'm not so bad. It's nice to have slightly more freedom right now. The whole reason we were delaying recording was because I was preparing my portfolio work for my apprenticeship. Got that submitted first week of April. And now the next stage is I'm going to be working on a week-long synoptic project where I have to spin up a, an app from the ground up in a week. So I'm, I'm kind of nervous about that, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. It's exciting, that. I quite like the idea behind that. Yeah, it should be pretty cool. When you're in your regular job, you don't really get to do anything end-to-end all that often. It's just a chance to hopefully show what I can do. Mm. Uh, I've been enjoying restrictions opening up slightly having a bit of non-essential retail therapy has been good yeah got to trading all my junk to cex in order to buy more junk uh, which included doom eternal nice and uh, what's it called now oh i'm gonna need to look it up it's this like roguelite rpg thing where all the dungeons are procedurally generated and it's my first roguelike game and it's kind of weird getting used to it that you basically have to go in to fail over and over again to, to get where you want to go. Yeah. That was a big adjustment. I've fallen back down the Destiny black hole and 
my addiction towards Destiny seems to be growing and growing again, which isn't necessarily healthy for me. You know, <laughs> having to log on each week, make sure I do all my daily quests, and oh god, <laughs> so I need to try and calm down a little bit with that. Well, when Xbox Live opened up all of the free-to-play games so that you don't have to have a gold membership to actually play them. I was kind of tempted to have a crack at Destiny, but I just keep going back to Jason Schreier, who's an excellent journalist at Bloomberg, and he's got a couple of books out. One of his books that was about like game development, he, he was studying the original Destiny, and he described Destiny as a game where people complain about playing Destiny. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> essentially, yeah. <laughs> uh, what about on the wrestling front? On the wrestling front, I've really enjoyed the content currently. We're starting to see this shift towards, you know, potentially getting crowds in. You know, we saw a bit of mania. I'm quite enjoying some of the storylines, you know. Randy Orton, as, as always, slick as, slick as you like. Drew, week in, week out, fantastic. Roman, as a heel, with him and at his side, is just incredible. So, yeah, they're, they're sort of my my three highlights at the moment of, you know, people that have, have really had the spotlight put on them for me. Mm, yeah, Roman as a complete package just feels spot on right now. Yeah. I enjoyed having fans back at WrestleMania, whether it was too soon or not, we'll, we'll have to see. But it was quite refreshing how you go and read Twitter and everyone's all like, oh, Edge, he's just not a draw. Oh, look at all the flatlining of the viewership. Oh, this is a failing storyline. Look at it flagging. Thank goodness we've got Daniel Bryan to save it. And then you get to the live crowd at WrestleMania and everyone bloody loves Edge. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, that's that's the thing, isn't it? That we've always spoke about is that the only time that you can gauge who's who's hot, who's not, is with a crowd. With Mania, you it highlights that people that necessarily on Twitter say no, they're not so good, they're not this, they're not that. As soon as you get a crowd, it's a whole you know a whole different ball game. Mm. I personally preferred night one of WrestleMania to night two. Loved the Bianca Sasha match and Rollins and Cesaro. The almost and AJ tag team pairing was quite good crack. Yeah, it, it was just fun. It, it was a very different kind of energy compared to what we've been getting in the Thunderdome. Yeah, I think that overall, I think both nights they hit the spot. I think there were more hits than misses, definitely. One of the not necessarily misses, but I'm still trying to wrap my head around the finish of, of Randy and, and Bray. You know, I think they could have done so much better with that. Bad things come in box-like objects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of hits and misses, we're going all the way back to the year 2000 again. All the way to the year 2000. <laughs> Johnson & Johnson will replace its No More Tears baby shampoo with the much more useful No More Poo That Looks Like Mustard baby shampoo. 
with Rikishi's hit and run on Austin having been exposed. You'll have heard at the start of the episode, just a little brief catch up for what we covered last time around, because we've only fast forwarded one week from then. We're looking at WWF Roy's War from the Compact Center in Houston, Texas on November the 6th, 2000. This, again, was another show that Perry recorded for me and my mate Seb, probably because we're still kind of enthralled with the the Stone Cold return and finding out who the accomplice is. Of course, there was a SmackDown that happened in between, and they have a little recap at the start of the show here. So Rikishi claimed that Rock hit Austin with the pipe a few weeks ago, so Austin gave Rock the stunner on SmackDown. Someone then tried to drop a production crate on Austin, and The Rock was suspiciously unwilling to tell Kevin Kelly where he was at that time. Rikishi then screwed The Rock out of his WWF title match that he earned on our last episode, and that led to Austin making the save, only to get Rock bottomed by The Rock. That all leads us into this episode of Raw, where Mick Foley has ordered Rock and Austin to team together against Kurt Angle and Rikishi to try and calm things down a bit. Who'd have thunk it, Kyle? Tag team partners that don't get along, can they coexist? <laughs> I know, who, who'd have thought that? That's, uh, that's nice and fresh and new, isn't it? <laughs> Not been done before at all. No. We get the opening theme and the pyro, and out comes Vince McMahon. This whole bit at the beginning was just weird. Well, tomorrow is election day. Vince starts pondering who the WWF superstars are going to vote for. I loved his line, Ask those vote counts as much as anybody else's. (laughs) And Lawler quips, That's scary. All I'll say is I'm glad we're covering this episode post-election. It's just a big plug for SmackDown, your vote, really. He's bemoaning the WWF fans have been ostracised from the political process because the pundits don't care for them, and he's just imploring everybody to vote. He says that the selfish, self-interest groups won't elect the next president. The average American, the WWF fan will. This is a, a good bit of camera work here. Vince is talking about, many of you will say I can't vote for any of these politicians because I think... A lot of them are lying. And then the camera cuts to uh, Austin 316, don't trust anybody sign. (laughs) Great camera work. Vince's solution is just vote for who you think is lying the least. (laughs) And JR goes, what an endorsement. It baffles me that the fact that he just got in the ring to talk about all that sort of stuff, it just seemed mightily... Irrelevant. I mean, I know it's it's relevant to the time that they were in, but you know, I'm what I want to watch a show, not you talk about real stuff. <laughs> yeah, I had completely wiped all of this from my memory. We'll get into the the bits that I have the most vivid memories of in this show, but this segment was not one of them. <laughs> Austin comes out to thankfully save us from Vince flapping his gums about politics. <laughs> He warns a rock about how he's going to dish out some knuckle sandwiches if Rock tries to double cross him, and then ponders who the mastermind of running him over was. We all know Rikishi's not smart enough to do it, and so naturally Austin accuses Vince. But then out comes the WWF champion Kurt Angle and his business partner Stephanie McMahon. Kurt made me laugh 
with his first line interrupting here. Hold it right there, bucko. <laughs> he's just comedy gold, Kurt. He's brilliant. Yeah, he's fantastic in this segment. Maybe George W. Bush ran you over after having a few cold ones. <laughs> Kurt officially renounces his ties to Texas. And Stephanie's big idea for preventing a fight breaking out is to provoke Austin. Oh, wow. That's going to work out lovely, isn't it? Angle jumps Austin only to get the Stone Cold Stunner. Very strange opening. Yeah, very, very strange. We then cut backstage and holy shit, the Undertaker nearly runs everyone over. (laughs) What's your favourite vehicular assault in wrestling, Kyle? We've got Undertaker running people over here. We've got this big storyline about Stone Cold being run over. Lots of fun things happen with cars and shit in wrestling. There's quite a few. I mean, I quite liked the whole Vince McMahon, the firework one with DX. That was... Mm -hmm. uh, that was funny. The exploding limousine as well, which obviously got canned. I quite enjoyed that. I thought that was pretty cool. The limo getting destroyed under the under the lorry. That was quite recent to this episode, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, quite enjoyed that. Yeah, the the limo ones are definitely the best ones. And I think the cement in the Cadillac. That's another good one. <laughs> He's driving a cement <laughs> truck. They're up there as my favourites. Yeah, that's good. Mine's coming up on a future episode, actually. Judgment Day 2002, they're running into that show. Hogan's like taking the piss out of Undertaker being a biker and stuff, and Taker jumps in from behind and hog ties Hogan all the way around the backstage. And it's just funny looking at Hogan being hogtied, and he has no clue what to do with himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the shape of his face is just like... It's kind of like he's this generic video game character that's not been animated yet. He just can't do anything with his face. <laughs> do you know what I always remember as well from the video games, which always used to, it, it always excited me that they would parallel what's happening on the show to what's happening on the game. Yeah. So on WWF SmackDown 2, you would or whenever you started your season, you would always end up getting the Stone Cold Return where he, he has the crane on the, the tour bus. Um, and I always found that was really exciting because it's like, well, I actually saw that and the, it's in the game. <laughs> yeah. No Mercy was kind of similar for me because they had the pink slip angle with Rock and Mankind that would play out in the, in the WWF title career yeah. mode. And that was one of the first angles I remember from watching the WWF. Yeah. Vince is about to take Stephanie home, but first he tells Kurt that he has a strange feeling something momentous will occur tonight. Mm. We'll see how that pans out. As we go to our first match of the night, it's The Undertaker against the right to censors Val Venus. Or, as he should be known, as the Colonel. Because that's exactly <laughs> what Val Venus looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Right to Censor requested this match, but were informed that if any of Val's teammates interfered in this match, they'll lose their tag team title opportunity that's coming up later in the night. We get a clip from SmackDown of Undertaker refusing to join the RTC and giving Stephen the last ride. 
and commentary put over Commissioner Foley for outsmarting the right to censor with this stipulation so that you know we're not going to get a four-on-one mugging. Did you spot the Undertaker's T-shirt in this match, Kyle? No, I don't think I did. It was a Yokozuna shirt. Ah! He very recently passed away, sadly. He was doing some kind of tour around England, and they found him in his hotel room. Kind of sad. But I know The Undertaker was very fond of Yoko. He was a, a big like, Bone Street crew alum. Yeah, I remember, I'm sure that Taker and Kane mention it, that it's in that Yokozuna Legend series on the network. Like, after his passing, they got, like, a an okay off the WWF, which was very rare at the time. And, you know, they was able to go and do a, a Yokozuna appreciation night as Undertaker and Kane. And I, I'm sure that was in the UK where they did that. Yeah, they, yeah, they were close. Get a huge sidewalk slam by the Taker, but then Val comes back with a net breaker for two, only to get cut off on the top rope, and the Undertaker peanuts his tie before pressing him off. Does that give you flashbacks to school, Kyle? Oh, my word. Yeah. And then, so you, you would always make sure that you had a 2P or a 10P in your tie so it didn't happen. <laughs> the other big thing that infuriated all of our teachers was we'd have the skinny bit of the tie instead of the kipper out. Yeah. <laughs> Wear your ties properly. <laughs> Jesus. School had some right shits in it. Yeah. The tombstone is escaped, but Undertaker whips Val hard into the turnbuckles and gets a big boot, then blocks a suplex and turns it into the last ride to get the free count after five minutes and nine seconds. What do you make to this, Kyle? Bit of a squash match, wasn't it? <laughs> and do you know what? The thing for me was the finish with the last ride and the way that Val Venus literally just froze in time, crippled on his neck didn't move, and you had to wait for The Undertaker to pin him for him to move. I felt like he glitched out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah, pretty routine stuff here, although Taker looked surprisingly quite sprightly on occasions. I don't associate this period of Undertaker with work-rate Undertaker, let's say. No. Backstage, Triple H finds Mick Foley and jokes about the booger up Kurt Angle's nose when he won the title. (laughs) Triple H wants to fight all of the Radicals after they ruined his match with Benoit on SmackDown and Mick Foley and the Shill all four of them right here in Houston, Texas <laughs> Love a cheeky crowd pleaser comment <laughs> Foley orders him to find three partners so that he can set up a tag team match And then Austin arrives to question why the hell Mick is teaming him up with The Rock. There's a very telling exchange here with Austin going, so I'm supposed to trust the son of a bitch? And Triple H tells him, hey, like you say, Austin, DTA, don't trust anybody. Yeah, that's the way to go and be successful in wrestling, DTA. Mm. Austin warns Mick, it'll be Mick's ass if The Rock betrays him later tonight. We come back from a commercial break and JR is perplexed because The Rock hasn't arrived yet. Then show clips from two weeks ago of the Y2J and Kane coffee spilling incident. (laughs) So that led to Kane interfering in Jericho's matches all the time. 
And our new Hall of Famer is backstage with Michael Cole. He's talking about how the world won't accept him because he's different. People want Jericho instead because he's pretty. The more you cheer for him, the more I hate him. The more you want to see him, the more I want to end him. If the world won't accept the freak, then I'll give the world the monster. Love it. <laughs> He's got a hardcore title match with Random Steve later tonight. And... After he wins the title, he's going to challenge Jericho to a title defense so that he can do whatever the hell he wants to Jericho and it will be legal. Everybody loves Random Steve. Random Steve, Random Steve fills out any match card. Random Steve, Random Steve fills out any match card. I was recording with Lee yesterday and he was telling me how he's got the random Steve jingle stuck in his head. <laughs> I was so excited when I borrowed this tape with Seb and I saw that Kane was getting a hardcore title match. Kane was still one of my favourite wrestlers back then and I just wanted him to win the title. Yeah. This feud was very complicated for me because I also really, really liked Jericho and I couldn't accept the fact that Kane was the bad guy in this feud. It's interesting, isn't it, when you, you like different guys, especially in this era, you know, people that you liked and you're like, I don't want you to be a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just had to put it up, put up with it for the, the long haul with Triple H, unfortunately, but, you know, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he was never a bad guy in your eyes. Never, ever, ever. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Triple H, he's recruiting the Road Dog backstage for the tag match, but Road Dog's reluctant to team with him. I understand this. I understand why they, they all don't want to team with him, because he, you know, decided to go in separate ways, go solo, be successful. We get an advert for Jim Ross's cookbook, and then we see Billy in China, and then Billy gets really pissed off when Triple H and Road Dog approach him. Triple H admits that he made a mistake, but for one night, DX style, they can get a hold of the Radicals. So Billy and China are down with that. Do you know, I really liked the idea that, well, Billy wasn't so sure, but it was only when China mentioned Eddie and she was on board, then Billy said, yeah, go on then. I liked that little, you know, tie-in with other storylines. It totally makes sense for everyone involved here to want to wrestle the radicals yeah and you still get the nice bit of continuity where you know billy he got jumped out of dx when he injured his shoulder yeah onto our second match of the night it's test and albert the team of tna accompanied by trish stratus taking on too cool and they've got their turn it up theme i love that theme my first wrestling CD was WWF for Music Volume 5, and people keep telling me it's not one of the good ones, but there's loads of songs from like my childhood of wrestling on there. Yeah. And that song is one of them. <laughs> Testing that Albert jump the faces while they're derobing, but then Grandmaster fights back with a big tornado DDT. Scotty tried to cross body, but Albert caught him power slammed him and then did an awesome slingshot decapitator in the ropes. Tess got a big boot for a near fall, but then his second rope, nothing, got countered with the feet. 
Grandmaster Sexay got the tag, hit an enzigiri and crotched Albert on the top rope, then hit a second rope drop kick and cut off Trish's interference. But behind the ref's back, Test used Trish's boot to attack the Grandmaster, but Grandmaster kicked out. We then get the bulldog from Scotty, and it's here at W O R M. Woo! Absolutely love that move. It's so good. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> That's what makes it amazing. <laughs> I know. It encapsulates wrestling perfectly. <laughs> Grandmaster follows it up with a hip-hop drop, but Trish distracted the referee, which allowed Albert to sneak in with a Baldo bomb and test covered for the free count after three minutes and 52 seconds. Immediately after the match, Crash Holly arrives with... As JR put it, who the hell is that woman? <laughs> Crash and Too Cool clear the ring, allowing this young woman to take Trish down to a huge pop. And she hit a neat springboard crossbody, which allows her to celebrate with Crash. This young woman, of course, is the newly minted Hall of Famer Molly Holly. Mm. This is the first time we, we see her, isn't it? Yeah, this is her debut. Yeah. Mm. I used to catch quite a few debuts in wrestling, which I, I didn't really appreciate. There's this, then there's Trish Stratus on the heat, scouting her tag teams, and then S.A. Rios and Lita, the night S.A. won the light heavyweight title. Yeah. Like, watching it for time, I didn't appreciate, oh, these are brand new people. It's strange looking back as well. Like, especially, we'll use Molly Holly for an example. Like her making her like debut in, in this episode to think where she is now, Hall of Famer. There's no way in her mind making this debut would she ever think where she is now. That's for sure. This brings up another point. Doesn't it make you feel old that all of these wrestlers from when you were growing up are now Hall of Famers? We got Molly and Kane already in this show. Yeah, it's bonkers. Like, there's nobody other than Edge, I would say, that that's still actually... Well, Edge and Christian, that are still wrestling. I think everyone else is, isn't. That makes it even worse. <laughs> <laughs> this was a really fun match for the time. They fit all kinds of stuff in. Molly debuting at the end made it even better. It just had lots of energy and it kept the crowd into it. What did you make of this, Kyle? I agree with that. I think it was really slick. They went through the motions, you know, nice and easy, nice way of bringing Trish into the match. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really smooth and and nice. Mm -hmm. The Radicals and DX are both walking backstage towards their match, which is going to come up next. There's some football guy and an old man named Jim ringside, and for some reason Jerry Lawler's freaking out about it. Yeah, so we've got our third match of the night. It's Degeneration X for one night only performing to take on the Radicals. And we saw last week how, in the stipulation, Billy can't be called Mr. Ass anymore, so JR keeps trying to call him Billy G. <laughs> that somehow feels even more 2000s than Mr. Ass. Yeah, yeah, very much. Oh, DX have got their X pyro back. For one night only. Yeah classic DX callback with 
Billy and the Road Dog playing rock, paper, scissors to decide who start the match. Do you know, Triple H, when he came down that ring, he looked pumped to hell. He was raging. <laughs> <laughs> Crikey. Start of this match with a massive tilt wheel slam by Billy on Eddie Guerrero. And that allowed China to tag in with Netbreaker. Road Dog hit the shake rattle on knee drop and then a backdrop only for Benoit to attack illegally from the outside. Roadog managed to crossbody out of Benoit's suplex, but he's trapped in the front chancery, which prevents the tag. There's a nice novel light suplex by Perry Saturn for a near fall. Then Billy Gunn gets the hot tag, hits the jackhammer on Dean and the Famaster, forced Benoit to break up the fall, which led to Triple H tagging in this workhorse of the match. Just hit the pedigree in the end to win it after five minutes and 11 seconds. It was there when it counted. That's, that's <laughs> the way that I see it. <laughs> it's a funny habit of doing that. <laughs> he has, yeah. <laughs> Kurt Angle attacked Triple H immediately after the match, and then the Radicals beat up the rest of DX as well. Felt kind of similar to the previous match. It had this ability to maintain lots of moving parts with some solid action, but I felt like it's just a tad below the standard that that previous match set because the finish just felt kind of rushed. It's like, oh, okay, it's Triple H's turn to get in the ring now. Yeah, I see where you where you're going with that, and also not to not to like lower TNA and too cool, but you would expect this match to be a little slicker considering who's in the ring. You know, like experience wise, you've got at least one general quote-unquote ring general on each team yeah they've not got a lot of time to work with but it's just this weird thing where like this is the top of the hour main event so to speak and it's just totally throw away yeah we're whizzing through this show and that brings us to the halfway point so it's halftime question time and we've got a question on twitter from our mate jeremy at just jezza he wanted to know what our favourite theme songs and stages were from both Raw and SmackDown. Hmm. Which one do I go with first? So SmackDown, I would probably say the Rings, the original staging, which is rumoured to be coming back next Friday, apparently, for the the throwback SmackDown episode. Yeah, Um, that feels out of nowhere. Hmm. For me, that's the stage that I always always remember i don't know whether that's something to do with because it was the original or or what but that's smackdown for me and then theme song again it's got to be the beautiful people what about you for smackdown i'm the same really the original smackdown set i had the version of the titan tron live that was for smackdown bloody loved that as a kid it's just so like outlandish and it's so obviously different from all the other kind of sets that they'd have in wrestling yeah i agree with that and then theme song i think it was drowning pool that did it it was like 2004 it was on the music volume six now will be denied all i got left is my pride oh and yeah yeah that's it yeah should I tell you, the one thing, we've said this in, in a few podcasts, the one thing that WWE never failed at is music. Whether it's the music 
for like the theme of you know Raw or SmackDown or whether it's a, a music package. They just feel right. Like the new one, Are You Ready, ACDC. It's great. It works perfectly. That's a pretty decent fit for them being on probably the most mainstream platform ever. Yeah. I do like a bit of ACDC. Hmm. What about for Raw then, Kyle? Stage-wise, I struggle between two. For me, I really liked the Attitude Era, you know, the, the Metal Titan Tron, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think that that was because that's what, when I first got into WWF, WWE, that that was kind of there and it was this new thing, you know, similar to SmackDown with that stage. But then another part of me really, really liked when they changed it all and it became the nuts and bolts. It was like the, the LED screens with Raw in the middle. Mm-hmm. It's between those two that I, I can't really pick a, a winner. And then, ah, theme music. See, Papa Roach to be loved. And then, Burn It to the Ground, Nickelback. Ah, Papa Roach again, Born for Greatness. There's, there's a few. Again, it's a struggle. Papa Roach did two raw theme songs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, To Be Loved was the first one, and then Papa Roach was the most recent. I think the second Papa Roach was like 2018, something like that. Yeah, I remember the first one, but no clue about the second. Yeah, because the the first one was like straight after Across the Nation. Oh, yeah, that's the one, yeah. And then they, they switched it to, to Papa Roach. But yeah, they're, they're the three. The two Papa Roach tracks and the Nickelback Burn It to the Ground, they're the ones that, when you're watching the intro, they just really get you psyched. What about you? So with me, the Raw set for, is on these pair of shows that we're doing now, like the 2000 yeah. era one. It's just got that right balance of being kind of industrial but refined with the, the, the little arches on the side and the, the screens instead of the, the just plain towers. I really like that. That like feels like raw for me. Like when they went with the like the nuts and bolts as you called it afterwards, yeah. I really liked that logo, but I didn't like what it did to the set. Like just something about it being asymmetrical put me off a bit. Yeah. And then with themes, it's thorn in your eye all the way. Yeah. There was thorn in your eye, but didn't they have a second one, like, running at the same time with it? Yeah, so anytime like, they have a, a link or whatever, or, like, background music for JR and people running over the card, that's a Jim Johnson song. I think it's called All Together Now. Like, yeah, like, that riff, it's like... Yeah. And they had to use that for the Undertaker's entrance music on No Mercy because they couldn't get Kid Rock's song. <laughs> oh, when copyright really messes with you. <laughs> yeah. What's your take on the newer stuff? So let's just ignore COVID era because, you know, there's only so much you can do within within the Thunderdome. But the current staging for live events... What do you think about them, you know, with all the LED ramps and, and all that sort of stuff? I've got to say, I really loved the pre-pandemic Raw stage that they had. You know, the <gasps> super fun happy slide. 
<laughs> I thought it was really, really clever, like the, the way it just runs all the way down to the ramp and the LED is the ramp, and I thought it looked really, really slick. Like that's the kind of thing that I'd love to see. Like I feel like that's kind of what they go for with. Do you remember WrestleMania 35? It was just a big, massive screen. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's the kind of integration that they're going for there, but they just managed to be a bit more stylish with it. Yeah, I really like the idea that when someone's music hits, it's everything. The stage, the screen, the ramp, all of it is the music and the, and the graphic. And then, you know, you can have your graphic going down the ramp. Like, just, for example, Seth Rollins, you know, the burn it down and it's on the ramp as he's walking. It's, it just yeah. looks incredible. I enjoy that a lot more than the augmented reality graphics that they do. Yeah, I just, I think it's such a waste. I mean, I don't know. It it may be because I'm I'm not a massive AR fan, but I just it just seems to disengage me a little bit. Totally, yeah. And then I'm similar with the quote-unquote 8K cameras that they have now. Like, loads of people seem to love them, but I don't like it at all because, like, by putting the focus solely on the wrestlers, it just makes the staging feel superfluous. Yeah, and you feel like you're actually playing a video game because mm. in a video game with a, with an entrance, you know, sometimes the focus is just on the wrestler. Like... For example, with the 8K, when they put it on Roman Reigns and everyone was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. You couldn't see Jay and Paul walking behind him. They were blurred out. Yeah, exactly. That, that's exactly what gets my goal about that. One more thing about like, on, on the theme of themes and aesthetics before we close. The Beautiful People was your favourite Smackdown theme song. But did you also know that it used to be Raw's theme song very, very temporarily? Yeah, I believe so. Was it like a, a month or two months, something like that? Yeah, it was right of right at the start when they were rebranding as Roy's War and they went to two hours. Right. And they, they used it for a, a cup of coffee and then they went with uh, Fawn in Your Eye. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks for that, Jeremy. And if you've got any questions that you want to ask of us in a halftime segment or anything, just give us a bell on Twitter at TNW Podcast. We're back from the break, and finally, The Rock has <laughs> arrived. It's then time for our fourth match, the WWF Tag Team Championship match, with the Hardy Boys defending against Bull Buchanan and the Good Father of the Right to Censor. We see clips from Heat the previous night where RTC beat up the Hardys after Matt wrestled Edge. Oh, and also of note, on the previous SmackDown, Ivory became the new women's champion in a Fatal 4-Way match. There's an immediate brawl at the start here. Jeff didn't even have a chance to take off his championship. Lita speared Ivory for interfering and the ref ejected both of the women on the outside. I love Lita's shocked face when she gets ejected, like, I've not done anything. You were literally just having a fight with Ivory. <laughs> well, yeah, but she, she was the person being provoked, though. <laughs> no, I know. It's just like you get punished for punching someone. It's like, yes, <laughs> the shock on her face. <laughs> There's a double suplex to Bull, and then right to sense the brawl back with some really basic tag team work. 
Matt Bock to superplex and hit his second rope leg drop. So Jeff got the tag. Double leg drop to the Godfather's balls. Sorry, Goodfather knocked Matt <laughs> into the ref while blocking the twist of fate. Then he gets shit count to the outside, and Matt hit a top rope clothesline to the outside. Jeff then hit the swanton on Bull, but Edge and Christian come out to spoil the party, and they did the exact same thing for Lita in her championship match on SmackDown, which is why she's not champion anymore. But then they get sent to the outside, and the Hardys hit poetry in motion on Bull. They go for it on the good father, but then Steven hit Jeff with the tag team title belt, and that's enough to get the free count. Our new tag team champions are the right to censor in their first title reign after five minutes and 20 seconds. I remember originally watching this and being proper pissed off because right to censor won the belts. <laughs> it wasn't even because the Hardys had lost them. It was because it was the right to censor. And at the time, they just really knocked me off. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I was pissed watching this as a kid because... <laughs> It's the exact opposite with the, the Kane match coming up. When Kane got booked in a hardcore title match, like, oh my God, maybe I've seen Kane win the title. But when it's someone that I don't want to lose the title, we're like, oh, how can you lose a title on a, on a regular TV show? I thought that was something for pay-per-view. Yeah. <laughs> and then the right to censor, like, obviously very lame and annoying, as they, as they should be. Yeah, I mean... It- you know, it was a it was a decent match. There was a lot of niggledy piggledy interference, which you would expect, especially from Stevie Richards. But yeah, I, I liked it. I just the ending's shit. <laughs> uh, I, I was all right with it. I thought the finish kind of got exciting, but right to Sensor's office was just super super simple stuff. Yeah, it, it picked up as soon as Edge and Christian appeared. Yeah, it's shocking upset here. Mm. While we're on the subject of title changes, can you remember the first title change you ever saw actually happen on television or pay-per-view as it was happening? Like, not in a video package or anything. Ooh. I'm feeling like it's an episode of SmackDown. I'm going to have to think back to this. It'll be an early, early SmackDown, and I'm sure that it was to do with the, the WWE belt. Yeah, it's weird seeing a title change on a Raw or a SmackDown. I like it. I think that it should happen more often. But yeah, it is strange seeing it happen, you know, on on a weekly. Yeah, it's good for a change of pace sometimes. You you can't burn through it too often. No. It's not Vince winning the title, is it? It might be. Do you know what? I'm going to search it now because it's going to really piss me off. (laughs) If it does happen to be that, that would be a very handy plug for my up-and-coming appearance on Rory's Nitro. <laughs> Give me a second. <laughs> so mine, I actually mentioned it earlier without realising, it was S.A. Rios' debut when he beat Gilberg yeah. for the light heavyweight title. Yeah. I didn't even have any concept of that title whatsoever until S.A. turned up and like, oh, right, cool, so this is like a smaller guy's title oh okay he did something exciting i'm gonna look forward to this now it was the vince mcmahon one (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it was the vince mcmahon one because wasn't shane the referee yes he was yeah yeah so yeah it's the vince mcmahon one oh wow what a nice bit of happenstance that is then (laughs) 
If you want to hear more details on how that went down, check out me on the Rise Nitro podcast coming up. What a perfect plug that wasn't even intended. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you say, Kyle, I am the master of the plug. <laughs> yes, yes. Teddy Long and Tony Gurria direct Kurt to The Rock's locker room. And so Kurt visits The Rock and hits him with the title belt immediately. <laughs> Fucking loved it. No messing around. None whatsoever. This is a good time to bring up as well. There was a Kurt Angle for President sign in the crowd. Lots of Wrestler X for President signs because it's election season. <laughs> we come back from the break with a recap of Kurt's attack and the right to census title win. Edge and Christian celebrate backstage because now that the Hardys are no longer champions, they're eligible for a title shot. They celebrate by playing Chris Benoit's theme on the kazoo. <clears throat> Two, three, four. Chris Benoit is here and he's really mad. Chris Benoit is here and he's really angry. Here it is and the Chris Benoit song. Is there any wrestler who can prove him wrong? <laughs> Come on, that was pretty good. Oh, that reeked, Mick. <laughs> they are, honestly, I absolutely love them too. Fantastic. Mick Foley wound up finishing off their routine and Edge complains about it. That reeked, Mick. <laughs> Mick says he originally gave him the night off, but since they wanted to stick around and interfere and stuff, they can wrestle the Dudley Boys tonight in a tables match. No bad guys getting their comeuppance. Yeah. On to our fifth match of the night, the one I'm most excited about. It's for the WWF hardcore title. Kane challenges the champion, the lethal weapon, random Steve Blackman. <laughs> Yay! Random Steve, random Steve fills out any match card. Random Steve, random Steve fills out any match card. Kane comes out and King is trying to get Lillian's attention. Get out of the ring, Lillian! He hates beautiful people! You remember how we talked about Kane's pyro as well? Yeah. On pyro watch here, Kane did his corner pyro before the match started. See how that plays out. They start brawling on the ramp, and Blackman gets hung up on the guardrail. Then, fuck me, he comes right back with a flying butterfly kick, leaping off the guardrail. <laughs> Unreal. He does a drop toe hold to counter Kane's bin lid shot, but then Kane dodged the inside heel kick and hit his own lid shot and a sidewalk slam. Steve crushed Kane on the ropes. There's a lot of that going on tonight. Attacks him with his martial arts sticks. He slides underneath the Irish whip into a low blow with a stick. Kane kicks Steve's top rope trash can away and power slams him onto the lid. He goes to attack with the steel steps, but out comes Chris Jericho and he whacks the stairs right into Kane's head using a steel chair, which allows Blackman to cover for the free count and retain his title after four minutes and 50 seconds. This is a perfect example of me being conflicted here. Jericho did something cool, but Kane didn't win the title. It was a solid enough garbage match. Steve's weapons are always fun, and there was decent stuff involved in them. What did you think, Kyle? I agree. I I love a good hardcore match. I particularly remember the finish and being, you know, really impressed with the finish of the, you know, the chair shot and the stairs being stuck on his head and it was really cool and something different that I'd not, 
you know, necessarily seen before. Yeah. We find The Rock searching for Kurt Angle backstage, but he bumps into Austin. And so he emphasizes to Steve, he doesn't have to hide anywhere if he wants to make a point to Austin. He doesn't have to hide under chairs, under tables, not even up Rikishi's gigantic ass. <laughs> Austin reiterates he doesn't trust anyone, and Rikishi's accomplice, whoever they are, is in for an ass whooping. Rock says, well, you won't be whipping my ass because I'm not the accomplice. Back from the break, with a replay of Jericho Costin Kane for the hardcore title. And then we lead on to our sixth match of the night. It's Jerry the King Lawler taking on Raven. It's Raven! I feel like this, this was such a random match. This all ties into Al Snow wants to recruit King yeah. to go against Taz and Raven for some reason. And Taz joins commentary, which uh, makes for interesting listening. Not quite Taz singing along to people's theme songs on AEW Dark, but still. Did you notice that every time it goes to the commentators, that the, the cookbook is just conveniently placed so you can see it? And if you want to purchase it, you can do. <laughs> hey, man, no, JR's just a, a traditional old Oklahoma. You know, he... he, he... <laughs> He's got to whip up any ribs that he can whenever, you know. It's got to be within arm's reach. There's a fist drop by King early, got on here fall. Raven comes back with his clothesline and bulldog combo. Then Lawler blocks with turnbuckle shots and pulls down the strap. Hits a drop kick on Raven. It's pretty impressive. Mm. Taz then prevented the pile driver for the disqualification. Al Snow made the save. With two heads, and one of them is wearing a crown. <laughs> so random. He sandwiches Raven between the two heads, and then King hit Taz with the crowned head. Lola won by DQ after one minute and 33 seconds. Not much here. Did Raven absolutely no favours, like, still within, like, I don't know, one month of turning up. Mm. Then see the Dudleys and Edge and Christian start heading out for their match. And Stephen Richards is giving his title holders a pep talk. JR's furious, like, have another glass of Kool-Aid, you idiots. <laughs> that leads us on to our seventh match. It's a tables match between Edge and Christian and the Dudley Boys. Kyle, tonight, Raw is sponsored by WWF No Mercy on the N64. Fuck yeah! What a game. Unless something weird's happened with the save, I've still got you a guy that you made... On my No Mercy cart. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what an old school game that was, and it was just incredible. You look at the graphics of games now, and you just look back and think, you know, how were we even able to play that? But it was just incredible. It's such a good game. Have you seen, there's this account on Twitter that upscales old wrestling images to higher resolutions? No, I've not seen that. So they did it for Edge's character model in No Mercy, and it is scary as fuck. <laughs> wow. Oh, I'm going to have to dig that out for you. So when the Dudleys set out a table on the outside, Edge and Christian head out to attack. There's a black body drop to Christian, but then Bubba missed his splash. Edge and Christian hit their poetry in motion, and then mock the Devon get the table routine. 
that allows the Dudleys to come back and hit the WADAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAA
and Rock is shown being driven away in an ambulance, so he's definitively out of this. Austin's initially able to fend off both men for a little while, gets the Lufez press on angle, then a double clothesline, two low blows behind the ref's back before the heels regain the advantage with a Rikishi superkick and leg drop. Austin dodged the Asalanche, and Rikishi did the Rikishi bump for his clothesline, but we get another pair of low blows on angle before a stereo clothesline puts both men down. Uh-oh, Rikishi's found a sledgehammer. Austin fights him off, but he's soon double-teamed again. But thankfully, look who's out to make the save! It's because he sensed the sledgehammer. <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as it came out, it's like Thor. It's like, <laughs> That's my gimmick, brother. You're not worthy. <laughs> he beats the piss out of Kurt, grabs the hammer, and <gasps> nails Austin right between the eyes with it. Fuck yeah. Austin is busted open and Triple H starts attacking with a coal miner's glove. <laughs> That's fucking random. He punches out Earl Hebner and Rikishi does the bonsai drop to Austin. Triple H gets the microphone. You search. It's over. Now you know you dumb son of a bitch. And then we get some classic Jim Ross indignation on commentary. Tell me why, damn it! The main event ends in the no contest. It's all purely set up to this show closing angle. Nothing in the match mattered much, and to be honest, we wrestled like it. Triple H, being the mastermind of this, let's face it, was the right call, and he's the perfect guy for Austin to play off. Absolutely the right call. I loved it. <laughs> Incredible. I remember watching it back, and I, I was genuinely even with it being Triple H, when he, he got the mic and he said, you know, now you know, and uh, it was a whole mastermind reveal, I, I just remember being like, holy shit, yes! <laughs> Loved it. That's quite a way of closing out Raw. It is, and the thing is, we again, it's that era, isn't it? You know, we don't, we don't get any of that now. I don't think in recent times there's... There's a, we've had a closing where you kind of don't say anything. You're just looking at the screen thinking, oh, shit. This makes it feel like a, a proper main event newsworthy angle again. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it makes much more sense. And Triple H will even go through it in the promo. I think pretty much on the next episode of SmackDown, is like, hey, you know, who benefited the most when Austin was away? It was me, damn it. Yeah, definitely. Like, sometimes the most obvious answer is the best one. Yeah, I agree with that, definitely. I guess at the very least, since they were, like, trialling out Rikishi at the start of this, it made the eventual revelation slightly less obvious. Yeah. That closes out this episode of Raw. What are your thoughts overall on the show, Kyle? Who was your standout performer and what was your favourite match? Standout performer for me, oh, it's a tough one because they're all they were all separated. You know, the, the different matches were separated through. I'd probably say Angle, just because he was like critical throughout the whole show. You know, as to what was happening, so I'd probably say he was my 
not necessarily stand out, but the important person within the show. The best match for me, Dudley Boys and Christian in the tables match. I know it was really short. I know it was a tables match, so not necessarily your generic match, but I, I could just watch those those four fight each other every day. You know, the biggest shock for me was was the Triple H reveal at the time, which, you know, I was obviously buzzing about. Yeah, I mean, this was a fun show. Nothing special really happened in the ring, but there were some good, like, plot points running through. Molly debuting was cool. Right to censor stuff continues to be newsworthy. The revelation at the end was a good way of injecting some fresh blood into a big main event storyline. Gotta love a bit of random Steve and his random weapons. Yeah. I think my favourite match was probably TNA versus Too Cool. Yeah. There's nothing really you have to go out of your way to watch in terms of a, a match here. But that was just a really good example of utilising and maximising your screen time to have something just really entertaining and then went on to serve a storyline purpose as well at the end with Molly coming out. And I think you made a good call there, Kyle. Kurt Angle's a standout for me as well. He's both really, really funny and showing that he's not going to take shit from people. Yeah. Like, I feel like most assets of his character were explored in this episode and he did a good job. Definitely agree with that. That'll wrap up this episode then. Another little walk down memory lane with an old tape of ours. Next time, it depends if we can get Lee. There's some episode of SmackDown that he remembers, and I'm pretty sure it's from this time period. But if we can figure that out, we'll see if we can arrange something. But if not, we're going to be moving on to Armageddon 2000. Six man hell in a cell, everything crazy going on. Vince going into full midlife crisis mode. Oh, absolutely love that main event. You'll see us for either of those, hopefully in the near future. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast or on Instagram at TNW underscore podcast. We've also got Facebook. Give us a like there and you can follow our updates on new episodes. Come chat with us on Twitter. That's probably where we're the most active. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It's going to really help boost the exposure for the show. And you can have a fast and easy way to catch up on all of our old episodes with a playlist I made on our SoundCloud page. And you can also find a playlist of all of my guest appearances on the Roy's Nitro podcast. I recorded with Lee again recently. I'm going to look a mid-September pair of episodes with SmackDown and Thunder going head-to-head. Very unique episode of Thunder, shall we say, going up against that Vince McMahon title win that we were discussing earlier. Look out for that in the near future. And in the meantime, it's a goodbye from Kyle. Thank you very much. I will see you again soon. That's a goodbye from me. I'll catch you down the road.